Amazon is hiring near you. Start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Earn an additional $2 an hour through April. Health and safety are a top priority with all our roles and sites, and Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Learn more or find a job now at Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. Amazon is hiring near you. Start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Earn an additional $2 an hour through April. Health and safety are a top priority with all of our roles and sites. Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Learn more or find a job now at Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. Welcome to Haunting History, the podcast that reaches back into the past for the events that still haunt us today. Tales of true crime, mystery, and the macabre. And when we're lucky, the stories were history and the people who lived it and the paranormal meet. Now who doesn't love a good ghost story, right? Welcome back to Haunting History Podcast. I'm your host, Kat. I'm Haley. And before we get started, we wanted to give out shout outs to some of our listeners. But wait, before we do that, you got to do some fun stuff this week. Tell them about that. Oh, I did. I forgot. Um, The first thing, I got to do an interview with Cody Beck from American Hauntings Podcast. If you're not listening to them, it's um, Troy Taylor and Cody Beck. And it's amazing. They've been around for a while. And Troy is sort of um, my hero when it comes to research. And Cody is just an amazing person and he interviewed me. So he's going to do a bonus episode on for their podcast of our little chat. And then I got an email from Mary Jensen with entertainment source, which is an online entertainment magazine. And she interviewed me as Lizzie Borden for her um, Halloween issue, which was kind of fun at first. I said no, cause I thought it was an audio thing. And I was like, I'm a 19, 19- 80s Valley Girl. I can't sound like Lizzie Borden, but then I realized it was all written down. So I did. It was really sweet. And she sent me a magnet. I put it on her Instagram. And then the other thing I got to do, I was invited by a police department, a local police department, to attend a forensic study group because of the Deborah disappearance episodes. And even I really, I didn't understand 90% of the things they were talking about. I mean, it was a room of super smart people. They were all criminologist, criminalist, which there's a difference, by the way, and um, crime scene analysts and technicians and retired detectives and forensic experts. And they, when I got there, he told me that I had, that he had set aside five to 10 minutes for me to speak. And I thought, I thought I was going to die because it's one thing to talk in a microphone in a room than it is to stand up in front of 70 super, super smart scientists. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, it was fine. I just introduced, I said what I did for a living. And then I talked about the podcast. And even though I didn't understand a lot of what they were talking about, I mean, I tried really hard to understand it, but some of it was way above my head. Um, I made a lot of contacts, which was really helpful. And a lot of people want you to do stories on their stuff. Yeah, it was really, yeah, before I even sat back down after speaking, um, three people stopped me and asked me for my card. And then at every break, I kind of, where I was sitting, got kind of swarmed where people were asking me, telling me about cold cases they had that they 
with like a story done on and some of them are asking questions and stuff. But the best part about it is, is that I, I make contacts to ask questions. Like if we do further missing persons cases and stuff, I have just a litany of people I can talk to and ask questions. So that was cool. It was, I was so grateful. I was, I, I found out when I was there that I'm the first civilian to ever attend which was exciting. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it was awesome. And it was a whole day. So, and then I want to go back to our listeners. We have some listeners that wrote in that we want to give some shout outs to. You're going to, are we just going to take turns? Do you want to do, you do the first list and I'll do the second list. You want to do that? Or do you want to take turns? I don't think we should go back and forth. I think that would be annoying. That would be a lot. Yeah. Okay. So you go first. So from Instagram, we have Anna from Alaska. Number one listener. We have Helen from York, United Kingdom. Far away. Hi. Tiff from Chino. Yo, yo. Right down the street. street. Megan from Santee, California. Susan from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thomas from Berlin, Vermont. Shay from Oklahoma. Precious from Niagara Falls, New York. People live there. Sounds like a really cool place to live. No, I really, it's, I just thought people visited there. I didn't know people really live there. (laughs) It's not an act. It's a home for people. Yeah. Holly from Philadelphia. Lisa from San Diego. Jessica from California. Katie from Olmstead Falls, Ohio. Sounds kind of like spooky. Olmstead Falls. They probably have good Halloween stuff. <laughs> Dustin from Ottawa, Ontario, in Canada. Heather from Blythewood, South Carolina. That sounds like a pretty place. Yeah. Jesse McMullen from New Mexico. Crystal Taylor from Whittier, California. Boise Murderino from Boise, Idaho. What's up, Boise? Amy from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Misty from Eddyville, Kentucky. Beth Wood from Nashville. Marcy L. from Los Angeles. Thomas Fox from Berlin, Vermont. Rick Medina from Alameda, California. McLean, no idea how to say your last name, from Lincoln, Nebraska. Cool. McLean, cool. You sure? What a cool name. Yeah, that is cool. McLean. Mac and Olivia from St. Louis, I think. From St. Louis. I have no idea. STL. I think we're... From STL, I think it's St. Louis. Mm. Catherine from Seattle. Katie from Olmstead Falls, Ohio. Amy from Chatsworth, Georgia. Miranda from Boston. Natalie from Indianapolis. Claire from Davenport, Iowa. Teddy from Ontario, Canada. Sally from Akron, Ohio. And Kathy from South Florida, we think. SoFlo. SoFlo. I'm assuming that's South Florida. Um, Julie from, from Annapolis, Maryland. Isn't Annapolis, Maryland, isn't that where the FBI is? No idea. It's, I think there's an, I'm pretty sure it's either, I don't know, Jen from Charlotte, North Carolina, Ashley from Conestoga, PA, what's up, PA, Brenna from Tacoma, Washington, Katie from Atlanta, Lauren from Long Beach, April from Phoenix, Arizona, Eddie from Rochester, New York, Allison from Lakewood, California, Michelle from St. Catharines, Ontario, Canada, Sherry from California, I wonder if that's any Sherry's, we know. Michelle from Las Vegas. Oh, Las Vegas. Adriana Sierra and Audrey from Austin. Jesse from New Mexico. April from Utah. Justine from Arkansas. Gidget from Central Texas. Gidget. I want to know how you got your name. Write us back and tell us how you got the name Gidget. Joanne from Minden, Nevada. Samantha from Lodi. Lauren from San Diego, California. Jo- Joanne from Minden, Nevada. Stephanie from Warwick, Rhode Island. Maddie from Minnesota. Brooke from Hazel Park, Michigan. Patricia and Noah from Phoenix. They listen together. Brenda Page from Gobbles, Michigan. 
I wonder if I'm saying that right. Gobbles, Michigan. I want to go there. Um, Whitney from Atlanta, Georgia, and Kimberly Diaz from Riverside, California. What's up, Kimberly? That's um one of my coworkers' cousins or relatives in some way. We asked in our last episode if you're listening to um, say your name. Keep doing that. We'll say hi in our upcoming episodes. Um, if Haley can keep track of them, it's a little hard for her to do that, but we're going to give it a shot. But say yeah. hi. Sorry if I missed anybody. It wasn't on purpose. Yeah. If we didn't <laughs> say your name because Haley missed it, say tell us again and we'll catch you on the next episode. Also, if you get a chance and you listen on the Apple Podcast app, get, go ahead and go over there and click and give us five stars. We got a really crappy review. Did you think that was a terrible review? Yeah, some people are just mean for no reason. <laughs> I know. Really? And, and when they talk about our sound, it's clear they only listened to like the first episode because we improved pretty quickly with our sound. Yeah. So I don't know why people do that. Like they just immediately hear the sound and like write a review. I don't know. I'm not a review person, good or bad. Like I don't write reviews. I just don't. So Especially I, bad ones. Yeah. I so I, then I just really don't understand when people go out of their ways to say mean stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that one was really mean. Mm-hmm. And it shouldn't bother Personally me. Personally mean. Yeah. Like, not just like, uh, that sucks. Yeah. Like, you, like, just you, go, suck. you suck. I'm not going <laughs> to listen to you anymore. Yeah, no, it felt it felt vindictive. A personal attack. It, that's what it felt like. And I know you're not supposed to feel that way. And they say that every review matters, good or bad, because especially if they're constructive. Constructive. I love that. If it's something we can fix, um, I love, I, I don't mind getting one star if someone tells me what we can do better. But when they're just crappy, just to be crappy. Or, and for the record, one star is bad, five stars is good. I know, Some yeah. people do the opposite, and that's not how it works. <laughs> They'll yeah, put right. one star and write a really good review, and you're like, wait, you just made our ratings go down. Yeah. So <laughs> if you listen on Apple or you can get the Apple podcast, go on over and click five reviews, because that really mean person kind of lowered our rating. Um, and if you have the time, um, go ahead and give us a good review. And if you don't like us, give us a bad review, but tell us what we're doing wrong so we know instead of just being vicious for no reason. And, you know, Haley always needs to hear how much you love her. So me, I always whenever I people bring up the podcast, they just go, oh, I love Haley. Like They don't say I love you or you do a great job. They're like, oh, I love Haley. So if you love Haley, give her some love. Tell her. Today's story said to be one of the most haunted locations in California. The property located in an upscale neighborhood in Rancho Santa Fe which is in San Diego County. Um, the house actually isn't there anymore. It was demolished soon after it was purchased, which it was purchased far below market value. The house should have been something like $2 million or at the time back in the nineties, it would have been like 1.6 million. And the guy bought it for 668,000. Heaven's gate is said to not only be haunted by the spirits of the undead, but something a little more outer worldly than that. The website, the ghost diaries, who was using a story from the, Website backpackerverse.com says that some have seen what appear to be ghosts, but not only that, they see beings which are clearly not human. One person claimed to have seen the ghost of a young girl who had no eyes, but that there were, her eyes were floating near her body as if they were detached and could be moved around. Some have seen shapes that look like the famed greys, you know, when they talk about extraterrestrial, they call them the greys, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, which are translucent and disappear into thin air. Still, others have witnessed crafts in the sky above the house, um, strange little crafts that will dart around back and forth, almost as if they were looking for something or someone. And the site doesn't name who the paranormal expert is, but they said that it was a paranormal expert who had studied the property for a long time. And they spoke and to them, and they, were, they quoted this person, even though they didn't say who it was, that it's possible that they were really in communication 
with some form of extraterrestrial life, although it seems more likely that what they were in contact with was something paranormal. And that was to the question, could alien life forms be among the residents of Rancho Santa Fe? Others say that people feel the area is filled with um, a feeling of cold and sad horror and that the spirits are not happy. An anonymous phone call to the San Diego Sheriff's Department at 3.15 p.m. on March 26, 1997, which was originally they thought it was a prank call, which is why they didn't send anybody out for two hours. The call was, and I'm quoting, well, uh, I think there was a religious group that committed suicide. They later determined that this person that called was a man named Rio D'Angelo, who was a former member of the cult. And that's not his real name. His real name was Ford, I think. Told the emergency dispatcher um, when they answered his call. And then he went on to describe receiving a notice about the mass suicide via a group mailing. Two hours later, like I said, the San Diego Sheriff's Deputy Robert Brunk arrived at the rented 9,200 square foot. That's huge. Mm -hmm. Mansion located near... Well, it says near, but I think the address was 18341 Colina Norte. They actually had to change the street name to Paseo Victoria. Entering the unlocked home, he found the bodies of 39 people wearing the same black Nike shoes, which Nike was not happy about. I'm sure. It was all over because of the photos. Yeah. The only thing sticking out was their feet, and mm-hmm. they were all wearing the same Nikes. They had the same clothing, and they were all covered in purple blankets with no noticeable signs of trauma. There were 21 women and 18 men, ranging in age from 26 to 72, and they lay dead in a peaceful repose. This was the largest mass suicide in American history. Each had taken a lethal cocktail of phenobarbital, which that's what um, Deborah Lynn was on, uh, mixed with applesauce and vodka. That's how dangerous that drug was that she was on. Yeah. Um, I, I vaguely remember the story back in 1997. I didn't... I wasn't really into it. I didn't follow it a lot. I don't know why, which seems weird for me. I didn't. Um, I was kind of young. I just, I don't know. It was all over the news and in the papers. And reading about it this week and watching that documentary on Amazon Prime, it's actually really sad how people get really involved in cults and what they believe in it because someone tells them to. Yeah. Cults are scary. They really, and just that mentality of have, being a, allowing someone to convince you of, Crazy thing. Well, this one's crazy usually. too. Yeah. yeah. Um, Heaven's Gate was founded back in 1974 and led by Marshall Applewhite. What a name. His middle name was like weird too. Hef, Hef, Heffer? Like almost Heffer. I can't remember what it is. But it was a weird name. Um, Marshall Applewhite. And his girlfriend, and I put that in quotes and you'll hear by why later, Bonnie Nettles. Applegate was born in Spur, Texas on May 17th. 1931, it was the son of a minister. He started preaching and deciphering the Bible really to his taste, like how he wanted to believe the Bible back in the early 70s. Raised in a religious household, Marshall earned his bachelor's degree in philosophy and then enrolled in a seminary to study theology. His original intent was to become a minister. He married a lady named Ann Pierce and had two children, which I wanted to look at the two children and kind of find out where they were now, but then I thought, They've kind of been through enough. I don't really need to talk about them. In fact, when I wrote this, I didn't even include their names. I mean, I can't imagine how they feel now. Um, Their dad got 38 other people to kill themselves. After he had the children, he decided to leave the seminary and pursue an education in music and earned his master's degree with a focus in musical theater from the University of Colorado. And I I want to say right here, he's very well-liked, very charismatic. Cult leaders usually are. 
Right. I was going to say that um, he was very, very well liked and very, um, I mean, he would have had a following as a teacher. Just that, that obviously wasn't enough for him. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like you said, they're mostly charismatic. (laughs) Try again. Charismatic. Okay. Third time's charm. Now I'm going to start laughing. I'm not going to be able to finish. Charismatic. Charismatic. God dang it. Amazon is hiring near you. Start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Earn an additional $2 an hour through April. Health and safety are a top priority with all of our roles and sites. Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Learn more or find a job now at amazon.com slash apply. That's amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. Amazon is hiring near you. Start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Earn an additional $2 an hour through April. Health and safety are a top priority with all of our roles and sites. Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Learn more or find a job now at amazon.com slash apply. That's amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. After he, after that, after he had graduated from the University of Colorado, he actually attempted to pursue a career in New York in musical theater, but that failed. And he ended up getting a job teaching at the University of Alabama. Now, this is where things go really sour. I mean, he was well-liked and stuff, but apparently he was a closet homosexual and he was married and had two kids. And he ended up being fired from the University of Alabama for having an affair with a male student which from what I've read, different sources say that he carried on numerous affairs with numerous male students. And this one in particular is the one that got him fired. But his um, wife found out and of course left him. And he had been grown up in a strict religious environment. And so the whole thought of the same-sex relationship would have been found frowned upon by his dad and well his family in general mm-hmm. and probably his own in doctrine like what he had learned so he carried a lot of guilt with him and was kind of a mess especially his wife leaving and taking the kids with him he moved from alabama to texas to teach at the university of st thomas and then he briefly lived openly gay for a while again was very well liked there he ended up resigning from his job um because some say and i don't know how accurate this is because he had lived openly gay and he wasn't he couldn't reconcile himself with it. So it kind of messed him up mentally. And he ended up leaving his job and said it was because of depression and other emotional problems. And um, other sources say that he left because of another affair. But it sounds like to me he had multitudes of affairs. And it, it messed with his brain. And then this is where it gets a little confusing. Some sources say that he was in a psychiatric hospital. And this is where he met the quote-unquote girlfriend, Bonnie Nettles. Um, others say... He was visiting a friend at the hospital, so I don't really know. I found some information on her, and it sounds like she was a a needle nurse, like a, a nurse in the in the nursery, like she took care of babies. So I don't know how they met, but it's something to do with the hospital. Some people say that she was covering for someone else. She was working in a psych ward, covering for someone, and that's how they met. Either way, I can't really confirm where they met, just that they did meet. They quickly became close friends. He told followers later on that he believes that they had actually met in a previous life and that um, she shared his belief in extraterrestrials. And he, she's the one 
who apparently convinced him that they had in a div- what they called a divine assignment, like they were put on earth for a specific purpose. Together, they began to investigate alternatives to the traditional Christian doctrine, including astrology to their studies. He also had several visions, including one in which he was told that he had been chosen for the role of that of Jesus. He began to live with Nettles, and although they cohabitated and carried on like they were in a relationship, it wasn't a sexual one. Um, they He didn't believe in that after the whole years of him having affairs. He, he wanted to have a relationship with a woman, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't where his brain was and he couldn't reconcile with that. For a long time, he wanted a deep and loving yet platonic relationship. And she, when they met, was actually married with two children. And after she became close with Applewhite, her husband divorced her and she lost custody of her kids, which again, I wanted to look up them too. And I decided not to, uh, something to do. I mean, we do these podcasts and we're kind of telling, all the stories, but sometimes I think there's a line you cross. Don't you agree? Yeah. Like sometimes if it's not public information, maybe there's a reason. Well, like sometimes their names are listed and, and it wouldn't take a lot to find them. I don't think, I mean, maybe it would. I just, it's just not, they're not involved. I guess I just feel like maybe I shouldn't. Anyways, she had two kids. Her husband left her. Um, Apple white permanently broke off contact with his family about this time. He saw nettles. He said as his soulmate, and people say later that she had a very strong influence on him and that she knew that he was having, because they're so close, she knew that he was having schizophrenic episodes during this time and that instead of getting him help, she expanded on it. Does that make sense? Like she encouraged his hallucinations and ramblings. And if he had a thought like the whole extraterrestrial thing or being the role of Jesus Christ, I'm at one point thinking that she was Mary and then um, instead of like getting him help, she basically expanded on him. Yeah. Um, Originally they opened a bookstore together and were teaching classes on mysticism and theology or theosophy. But the the shop closed pretty quickly um, because they really wanted to reach more people than who would come to them at the store. They often traveled around with no money. They sold blood for food or they worked odd jobs. They studied the Bible, again, deciphering it the way that they wanted to, and even read science fiction, which clearly caused the confusion they had. They concluded together that they had been chosen to fill, to fulfill biblical prophecies and that they had been given higher level minds than other people. So they convinced themselves of that and somehow convinced a whole buttload of other people the same. They started visiting churches and other spiritual groups to speak of their identity, often referring to themselves as the two or the UFO two. And then they made up names for themselves, which he was Doe, spelled D-O instead of D-O-E. And she was T, spelled T-I. So they were Doe and T. They just made up these names for themselves. And people called them that. They believed that they would be killed and then restored to life. And in view of other people, transported onto a spaceship. This event is what they returned to as the demonstration in their writings and it was to prove their uh, like to prove to people that they're real. And, um, unfortunately their ideas were n- not well received. People thought they were crazy when they went to churches and spiritual groups. So only the people involved in their cult thought that they were, well, they figured out that going to churches and spiritual groups was not the way they were going to get followers. Right. They had to find 
I mean, I hate to say this because I don't think that everybody in a cult is weak-minded, but I guess you have to have a some frame of weak-mindedness, right? Um, they figured that they could prey on people a little bit easier, traveling around the country and promoting the nomadic lifestyle and stuff like that. Applewhite ended up getting arrested in Texas for not returning a rental car. He told the police that he was divinely authorized to keep the car. Oh, my God. While in jail, he pondered his theology background, everything that he had learned in the seminary and from his dad, and kind of just abandoned all that in um, favor of a life of life on Earth on other planets and evolution. After he was released, he and Nettles resolved to contact extraterrestrials, and they decided to find like-minded followers. They had much more success convincing people that they were looking for UFOs and that they were somehow connected to extraterrestrials than they did um, convincing people that they had divine intervention, that they were in some way Jesus and Mary or God. I think at one point they believed that Nettles was God. I don't know. They recruited disciples whom they called the crew and at events they purported to represent beings from another planet called the next level. They sought participants for the experiment. So they basically got people by telling them they would be part of this experiment. They claimed that those who agreed to take part in the experiment would be brought to a higher evolutionary level. And it definitely worked better than the original thought. Parts of this sound similar to like Scientology. It does. Um, yeah, but Scientology in the lower levels does not discuss any UFO or any um, extraterrestrial stuff. The first parts of... Scientology, I believe, is more like bettering yourself. And then um, it's not until you get to the higher levels that they talk about this. They preach right from the beginning, like you're going to be part of an experiment that is going to show the world that extraterrestrials live here in these vehicles. They call them vehicles or bodies or vehicles. And that at some point, a mothership will come down and, and take you away. Um, he preached the ancient astronaut hypothesis, which claimed that extraterrestrials had visited humanity in the past and placed humans on Earth and would return to collect a select few. By the late 70s, they had 40 followers, and um, a study by sociologists Robert Block and David Taylor and a religious scholar, Catherine Wessinger, said the group led a very regimented monastic lifestyle within the cult. First, platonic male-female partnerships were formed so that each member could develop an awareness of the human qualities of each person and it had that each person had to overcome. And watching the documentary last night, the two that when it first started, were talking about how they were paired with everybody in the group. And you kind of had to come to terms with what like annoyed you about that person and then like forgive and then like love them. And the guy was like, you know, when you could. Like basically, like some people were just turds and you just couldn't get over it. Mm -hmm. But that was your goal is you had to basically accept everybody for what they were. That's not a bad thing. No. Accept everybody for what you were. Second, group numbers, this is a weird thing, were uniforms that were designed to conceal their human form. In general, and in particular, their gender. Like, they all wore the same things. Like, girls did not wear skirts because that would make them look like a girl. So everybody wore, like, the same uniform. I had heard in the document that everything they ate, even, even like, if they made pancakes, like, the pancakes had to be the exact same size Jeez. for all the people. Um, the, the, um, like they had to be flipped at the same time. Like we were making pancakes. It was two sides on one side, one time, once like two minutes on one side and three minutes on the other side, each person's pancakes had to be cooked exactly the same way. Same amount of butter, same amount of syrup. It was all crazy. And then 
someone had even said, I found the night before the suicide, they had went to Marie Callender's and it was pre-ordered the exact same food. Like they had the exact, every single person that had, which isn't different than a catering menu, I guess. That's, it didn't strike them as weird at Marie Callender's mm-hmm. at the time. Later on, they were like, oh, that's what it was. Like they, they had like the exact same and they all ate the exact same amount. It was all kinds of weird. The sociologist block notes that the cult had a number of rules and guidelines that discouraged contact with the outside world. Like you can't contact your parents or friends. You had to eliminate old habits and identities. You could have no jewelry, no drugs, and prevented the formation of interpersonal attachments within the group, meaning that they could have no sexual relationships. And then this is a big thing. Seven members, including Applewhite, I thought it was I think with him it was eight, had themselves castrated in order to control sexual urges. So they had their things cut off. Fourth, Applewhite and Nettles had group members engage in a series of activities or rituals that kept them busy for nearly or all parts of a day. For example, they had an activity called a tone, where group members were to keep themselves focused on a tone produced from a tuning fork at all times while doing other activities. The idea was to keep the group members focused on this next level they were going to while ignoring human thoughts. By 1980, Applewhite and Nettles had 80 followers. They followed a nomadic lifestyle, and although they encouraged the releasing of worldly possessions and money, they seemed to have no problems taking trust funds from followers right? or inheritances from others Mm -hmm. or letting people work to make money for them to eat and live. Um, They sometimes made sudden and drastic changes to, like, their group just to, like, kind of keep everybody off balance all the time. And through most of this, it seems like a lot of that came from Nettles. Like, she seemed – well, first of all, she was not happy about having a non-sexual relationship apparently with um, Applewhite. Mm-hmm. She think, thought of them sort of as man and wife and didn't appreciate the the no sex thing. And then she would do crazy things like just to keep people kind of off guard. And what it did was it it made people desperate for his Marshall Applewhite's approval. Right. Like if he... And so she knew what she was doing. I'm not saying he was innocent. Clearly he wasn't innocent, but... Um, a lot of this came from her. She was the mastermind. He I was feel just like, the face. yeah, when I'm reading it, I do. Um, in turn, I mean, but then he continues after she's gone, so I, I'm not making excuses for him. Um, at one point, they let their followers contact their family. Specifically, um, one day on a Mother's Day, they let everybody contact their family and their mother. Basically, keep them off guard that they weren't allowed to have contact with family, and suddenly they were. Two, to keep their families off their backs, that their families wouldn't be calling up saying, hey, my... 19-year-old daughter is missing or my 26-year-old son is missing. And then three, to let their families, kind of let their families believe that they believed in something higher, that they were doing good. I don't know. It's weird maybe to get more members. I'm not really certain. But um, they were told to tell their families that they were studying computers at a monastery. In 1983, Nettles had her eyes surgically removed as a result of a cancer that she had diagnosed a year, a few years earlier. She ended up leaving two more years and died in 1985. Applewhite was devastated, like literally devastated when she died and told his followers he had to change some things because he had always told them that they were going to go together to the next level. So for her to die and her body to still be there and not be lifted up by some wild spacecraft, he had to kind of change things. So her dying and him changing things, they, they lost some of their followers. You know, they had up to an at that point before she died. That made them realize, wait, wait a minute. Something's a little yeah, hokey how come, here. how come her body didn't float up into a spaceship? Yeah. Right. 
So um, he told his followers when he changed the whole protocol that she traveled on to the next level because she had too much energy to remain on earth and she had to abandon her body to make that journey. So I kind of feel like this is where the seeds of the suicide started because he had to, originally they were going to stay in what they called their vehicles and be lifted up into the spaceship. And then suddenly she died and wasn't lifted up. So then he had to come up with another thing like, Oh, she had to leave her body here. So I think this is sort of where the seeds of the suicide came from. Like he's going to have to tell them like, you're going to have to leave your body. And then who's going to be left to question him, right? So his attempt to explain her death in terms of the group's, group's doctrine was successful for some people. And it, and it prevented the departure of, of a lot of members, like the half-ass hangers honors left, but the full-on hardcore members, only one really left after she died. I mean, they lost like the, the ones that were just following around, following for hoping to believe in something, I guess, kind of thing. But like for the hardcore followers, they, was just one one left. They lost a lot of the other ones. Applewhite became very depressed. He claimed that Nettles still communicated with him and that he suffered from a crisis of faith. His students supported him during this time, greatly encouraging him. He, to pay them back for being so supportive of him, he organized a ceremony in which he symbolically married all of them. Ew. Again, he doesn't have any, I mean, it's not a sexual thing. Like you're saying, ew, but it wasn't. No, but ew, because just the fact that people would be like, yep, this is what I want to do. I want to marry this man with all of these people. Just the thought process through that whole thing is mind-blowing well, you don't, you don't have the mind of a, a cult follower. Um, a relationship with Applewhite was said to be the only way to salvation, and he encouraged his followers to see him as Christ. In the late 80s, the group had kept such a low profile that um, very few people even knew it existed at the time. And then... As time went on, after she had passed away between the late 80s and early 90s, they would convert up to 100 followers and then go all the way down to like 26. And throughout the 90s, the group created a website, which is just such a trip, and started a business of designing websites. So anybody that, apparently, clearly some of their followers are really good at computers and designing. So that's what they ended up, like they had a name for it and everything. They, they ran a company of designing websites. It allowed them to rent homes and live compounds, compound style. In the early 90s, Applewhite posted some of his teachings on the internet. He was thrilled with the internet. That year, he um, first spoke of the possibility of suicide as a way to reach the next level. And his explanation was that everything human had to be forsaken, including your body. So this goes back to her dying too, that he now he's like putting it in their heads. From June to October 1995, the group lived in a rural part of New Mexico. Originally, they had purchased 40 acres and planned to build like a religious compound. And they referred to it as their earth ship. And they used tire and lumber, but the winter got super cold. And he's older by now. He's born in 1931. And this is the 90s. So um, it was too cold for him. And they abandoned the plan. In 1997, Heaven's Gates members were living at the mansion in Rancho Santa Fe, California. And we're now making a living. They're making a very good living. They're paying $7,200 a month for that house. Um, They're making a really good living as webpage designers. Applegate became convinced that the deceased Nettles was piloting a spaceship in the tail of the Hale-Bopp Comet to take them to the next level. They had found out um, the the people, the scientists who had, who had um, discovered the Hale-Bopp Comet had, there was a picture apparently in the paper where the tail of the comet looked like there was a something in it. And so 
he, Applewhite, jumped on it and said, oh, I know what that is. It's the spaceship manned by bunny nettles. Right. So, yeah, from a picture. So um, he convinced his followers that they, she was going to, as the comet passed Earth, she was going to break off from the comet, fly over their little mansion in Santa Fe, Spring, Santa Fe, Rancho Santa Fe, sorry, in Rancho Santa Fe, and pick up, pick up their asses up. Mm. So um, he convinced them that suicide was the only way that she would be able to get them because they all wouldn't fit all in human form. So on March 22nd, which was the first day of the suicides, 15 members ate applesauce or pudding. They don't really know what. I mean, I think it was a mixture of two. Laced with phenobarbital and then drank vodka. And then other members helped them fasten plastic bags over their heads to asphyxiate them. After their deaths, the plastic bags were removed and they were covered with a purple shroud. On the second day, the process was repeated for another 15 members, followed by another seven members. Finally, the mass suicide was completed when the last two members killed themselves. In total, there were 39 people, 21 women, 18 men who committed suicide. Like I said, the group members had aged um, from their early 20s to 72. This is the thing that gets me. Aside from being dressed alike, on their left shoulders, the group members had a patch that read... <laughs> This isn't funny, but for some reason it made them rather comical. They had a patch that said Heaven's Gate Away Team. Away Team? Away Team. In a patch on their shoulder, on their arms. Um, which was really a reference to the television show Star Trek, The Next Generation. Also, each person had a $5 bill and three quarters in their front shirt pocket. No one knows why? The $5 I'm not certain about. The three quarters was to call home. Because it cost three quarters from a payphone no, or something? Yeah, I guess they had three people to call. They thought, I don't know. And and why would they suddenly be allowed to call home? They weren't allowed to talk to yeah. them. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. But I, it's brain, I don't know. One of the victims of the mass suicide I didn't know was Nichelle Nichols from Star Trek. She was the woman in Star Trek. Wait, she was a member of the cult? No, her say? brother was. Her brother was oh. one of the ones that committed suicide. That makes me so sad. I mean, all of them make me sad. Um... What's really creepy, though, is I went on the website, and you can go on the website, too. It's heavensgate.com, and their website has not changed since the suicide. But someone's still paying for it. There is. There's two members that still run the, the website. Interesting. I know, and I couldn't find for sure. People speculate that it's a husband-wife team that still run it, and they'll still respond. Like, if you send them questions, they'll still respond. And um, the website still has, like, the manifest or a connection, a, a link to, like, um, Apple White did like a verbal video manifest the day that they all started committing suicide. Creepy. And it's still there. Like you look up at, you look at it and it's, it's so creepy. The whole thing, I don't know. I don't know if it's haunted. I don't know if it's being visited by extraterrestrials. I know it's completely different. I looked at the view of where the house was and they called him California McMansion. You know, people call them McMansions now. Yeah. Um, on the property, it's not on exactly the same like foundation of the original house, but they completely tore down the house and put something else there and then named, renamed the street. I mean, 39 people committed suicide there. And if you go online, we'll have links on our uh, episode webpage, but there's, if you want more information, there's just a shit ton of information out there about Heaven's Gate and Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Nettles. There's books written about them. There's documentaries. 
There's numerous websites. And then there's their website. Oh, an inactive website. There's their very active, active website. website. Yeah. Ren by, believe, only two people. They were, um, the documentary that I watched were two people that had left. And then there's um, a website, and I'll put a link to it, where um, one of the former members is, says he's still visited by the members of um, that killed themselves. And... Visited how? I don't as know. humans he still has or contact as with aliens? I don't know. Mm. I mean, and then, I don't know, it's it's very small. It's someone interviewing him who I don't think believes him. And then um, there are the survivors, people who had been in the group and then left the group. So, And then there's these two that run the website. And I don't know if maybe there's even more. I don't. I think it says that they're not taking any active members, but there's still two people running it. And like I said, I think... People speculated that it's a husband and wife team, which confuses me because they didn't promote husband and wife. You know what I mean? Like marriages or anything like that. So unless to the cult leader, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So I guess the whole thing's really creepy. I mean, maybe they don't know. They know something we don't know. But I thought you would like the story because it was UFOs. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I like UFOs and I think aliens exist and it's all very interesting to me. However... Put in your claws. I would not follow those two. No, you don't want to email and join? No, not currently. No, not right now. Yeah. Um, You know, people believe what they want to believe. I mean, I like, again, you and I are both fascinated by the whole UFO thing. And even though it terrifies the crap out of me, like the thought, like I I don't want to be stupid and I don't want to be unintelligent. I think that you have to be kind of blind to not believe that there's something out there beyond us. Right. Because I mean, the universe is huge, but having said that, it literally scares the shit out of me. I don't know why. Like I I can't see that side of it. Like the whole thought of like the movie independence day scares the living crap out of me. Oh yeah. Like that one time, um, the, what was it that took off? Uh, what's his name that keeps doing this Tesla guy. Yeah. I can't think of his name right now. I know. That thing that, and we and I didn't know about it. And you're, people were like in the street looking at it, and I went out and my stomach fell, like I literally got so scared and had to come inside because I didn't know what it was. Well, a lot of people didn't know about it. Well, I know, but I don't think people get as frightened as I do. Like I, oh, like it's the end of the world. Physically, think, oh, <laughs> fuck, they're coming for us. <laughs> like I don't, I don't know why I get so scared, but I get scared at the thought of it. But I, I believe that they're. I don't know. But again, I'm, in, I'm like you. I don't. I don't think I'm going to be calling any cults or anything, but no. I would like to attend a MUFON meeting. I keep trying to convince you of that. I know. I think we should go. And then they have those like group meetups where you go out to the desert and watch for this stuff. Although I'm not educated enough to know that it's not a shooting star. Right. Like you could tell me that's a UFO and I'm going to be like, okay. okay. Right. Yeah. I don't know where someone else would be like, no, that's a shooting star or that's an air balloon or a, uh, weather balloon or whatever mm-hmm. i'm gonna you tell me it's a ufo I'm like, yeah, yeah, of course it is yeah and then i'll be scared and run and hide um whether you believe the site is haunted by the lives of those who committed suicide or it's inhabited by something out of this world the families of those 39 people still mourn them today thank you for listening to this episode of haunting history podcast we love hearing from you so be sure to follow and comment on facebook and instagram and twitter at haunting history podcast And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to all your favorites. Visit our website at hauntinghistorypodcast.com for more information on each episode. 
and links to our Patreon page and all our social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Kat. I'm Haley. And remember, the living are far scarier than any ghost. Amazon is hiring near you. Start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Earn an additional $2 an hour through April. Health and safety are a top priority with all our roles and sites. And Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Learn more or find a job now at Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. Amazon is hiring near you. Start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Earn an additional $2 an hour through April. Health and safety are a top priority with all our roles and sites. And Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Learn more or find a job now at Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer.